Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. I want to talk about this idea of discouragement and more specifically overcoming discouragement in our lives. How many know we can all go through seasons like this? You know, we, we have hard days. Some of us can have hard weeks. Some of us have hard seasons. Maybe right now, whether you're here or watching online, you're like, you know, Pastor, I'm having a season right now, and it seems like it'll never end. You know, that's just part of the human experience. Amen? Anyone here? I mean, that's part of the human experience and what can happen. But the question is, what happens when discouragement creeps in? What do we do in those moments? How do we cope with the losing heart in doing good, as, as Paul says? Let's talk about this this morning. In fact, let's look at Galatians. What does Paul have to say in Galatians chapter 6? I love this, this letter that Paul writes. But look at this. Toward the end of the letter, he says, Let us not lose heart in doing good. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, say so then, while we have opportunity... This is so cool because we all have opportunities, right? While we have opportunity, let us, say us, actually say let us. That means I got something to do. Look at this. Let us do good to how many people? All people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. In other words, what I'm seeing here is if you can't even get this right with your family, how can you impact all people? How can you impact the world with goodness? And I believe that Paul can relate. You know, when Paul's writing these words, let me say it like this. When I speak a message or, or preach a message, you know, it's not because I've arrived. It's usually because I'm going through a process in my life. How many have seen that? Sometimes you discuss things and maybe there's some, some truth and you're still trying to grab onto that, embrace that truth. But I don't think Paul was writing this because he had completely arrived at this. I believe he's writing this because he can relate. If you look historically at what was going on, uh, Paul, uh, on his first missionary journey with Barnabas, had, had uh, installed and, and started these churches and planted these churches in Galatia. It's in the Asia Minor area. And they were facing this opposition with the Judaizers. And they were really trying to bring both the Jews and the Greeks under back under the law. Now, what's really interesting is when a lot of the Christians had had, you know, flee Jerusalem, they ended up in these areas, these Greek areas, and so you had these churches that were mixed congregations. But what was happening is people were coming in after Paul had come in and he he preached, you know, the gospel, the gospel of grace, the the gospel of this freedom that we have in Christ, this new way, this new covenant. You had what we call Judaizers coming in, and they were trying to infiltrate and trying to put people under the law, and very specifically under circumcision. And so Paul is really, this letter is a fiery letter. We have a few of these, the Apostle John as well. As, as they have come up in Christ and understood this new covenant, when people would come in and try to bring old with new and add some mixture, they weren't good with that. They weren't mad at people or they didn't hate people. People weren't their enemy. But this this so-called gospel was the enemy of the true gospel. Does that make sense? And so I think Paul can relate. 
I mean, he's just been under this, this opposition, this thing's coming against him. He's, he's trying to fight back and forth and try to get people to not step out of the grace that God has given them. And in this letter, Paul's not mincing words concerning his exhortation to bear one another's burdens, so fulfilling the law of Christ. We could say the law of love. How many know that Jesus only gave us one command? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Can someone just turn that phone off real quick? Turn it down, please. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I think we can even deal. I know Darth Vader's not coming, guys. It's okay. It's all good. It's just a movie. <laughs> that was really good. Law and grace. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> just work with it. Just work with it. My dad used to say, uh, just, just tell him I'll call him back later if that's for me. But, you know, Paul is dealing with this whole issue of back and forth, and I think even we can as well. But in this moment, i got to believe that the Apostle Paul was feeling some discouragement. Because of all the years and all the time and all the revelation and, and the letters he wrote, I would love sometime to just break down, you know, when, when we picture these letters being written, it's like, I used to just picture there's Paul, he's in a corner with a quill pen and a candle and he's just writing letters, but it actually was a huge process. Like literally they would have to raise money like the equivalent of thousands of dollars and they would bring in scribes who knew how to not just to, to write but to write small enough and well enough to not take up too much parchment and paper because, you know, it, it took a lot. And they even had these little, um, I don't know if you call it like an apparatus or what, but they had these um, like almost like a scribble pad where he could scribble down notes and it would actually press through like in a wax. It was really wild, the history of this. And he'd have all these notes and these summaries and these ideas as Holy Spirit's downloading. And then he would give it to the scribe. And then they would actually sit as a group and talk these things out. Because that's how church should be. You talk these ideas out. These were brand new ideas that were different from the law. And so once they kind of felt like, okay, we've got this. Okay, we have the rough draft. Okay, now we have the final. Let's go ahead now and we're going to pay this scribe to put it down. This is how letters were done. So when Paul was writing this, it wasn't just like, man, he got out of his tongue. He goes, I'm just so irritated and getting discouraged. No, this was something that was within him. He really wanted to release. So when we read the letters, realize that there was a lot of thought that went into this process. There was a lot of time that went into this process of writing a letter to a church or to churches. And so I believe that just like Paul, we can face discouragement in life. We can sometimes feel like I'm just losing heart in doing good. And I don't want to lose heart because I believe this is the right way, but, but what do I do in this situation? I love the mirror translation here. Listen to this. It says, every good deed has a predictable harvest. Let's not get discouraged in the in-between times. Come on, anyone had an in-between times? We all have. You might be having an in-between time right now. But look at this. He goes on to say, make sure your good deeds are love-driven rather than duty-driven. Faith works by love. Duty by willpower. See, faith is important. It's important that we trust God, that we that we exercise, we talked about this last week, we exercise our faith, put our faith to work, the servant called faith. But how does faith work? By love. 
See, when we're, when we're doing our duty and we're just that, that self thing, it's just willpower. It's trying to press through and push through. And that certainly will lead to discouragement. He goes on to say, let us take advantage of every opportunity, every opportunity to what? To be a blessing to everyone we meet without neglecting our fellow faith family. I think these are great words that the Apostle Paul had penned. So if Paul is saying to not be discouraged, which, you know, there's another place in Scripture where he says, don't be anxious for anything, but in all things, what? Make your request known to God. And you're like, I mean, sometimes Paul says things, you're like, dude, seriously? Don't be anxious for anything ever? How does that even happen? But again, I don't believe it's because he's never, he had never dealt with anxiety or worry. I mean, the people were after him to kill him. I mean, one time he had to be let down in a basket from a wall to escape certain death. Right? How many have faced that lately? None of us. So there was a lot of stuff going on in his life. But if he's saying to not be discouraged, if he's telling us to not lose heart, to not grow weary, then number one, the people he was writing to must have been struggling to not lose heart or not grow weary. I mean, why else would he say it? Maybe he himself, I believe, was dealing with discouragement, losing heart and doing good, spending years and years building churches, bringing in this gospel message, and now people are trying to refute it, and people are actually believing something other than the gospel. And number two, this is what I believe, it wasn't just that they were going through this issue in their life. Number two, there must be a way to actually live this out. How do you live out a life where you overcome discouragement? How do you live out a life where the, the fuel, there's a fuel somehow that keeps us from losing heart? Is maybe there this underlying power and connection, if you will, to the divine that keeps us from growing weary? I believe there is, and it's one word. Get this, friendship. Say Friendship. Friendship is so important. Now, I have the personality where, you know, I was just talking to someone this morning about it. Like, I'm good with my, my time, good being on my own. I like read a good book, do something. Man, there's no one around. Isn't that great? Someone else will go, no, I need people around. But sometimes the downfall of that personality is we think we can do everything on our own, or at least we try to do. We try to figure stuff out. You know, we, we, we don't confide in a friend. We don't ask for help. We don't, uh, you know, make our requests known to God. Instead, we let fear and worry and anxiety come in because I, I can figure this out. I can push through. I can, I can think through it. There's a logical way to the answer, to the solution. And sometimes we just need to release and let things go. But there's something about friendship. Believe it or not, friendship, or we could even just say relationship, it gives us a sense of purpose, Right? to know that you have a friend who cares for you? Some of us, we haven't had that in a long time. You know, speaking on my, of my own life experience, you know, I've experienced this where maybe I'm going through a certain time where maybe I'm going a certain direction in life. And I really feel in my heart like it's the right thing to do. But sometimes even our own head, our own mind will... will keep a second guessing on things and, and wondering. And then what makes it even worse is you have people who aren't on board with you, 
who maybe they have their own opinions of what you should do or even what you should believe. Come on, we, we live in one of those societies, especially as a Western society who believe we have all the answers because I can find it on the internet. I mean, let me say this. Let me say this, though. If you truly believe something, then you're going to walk within that belief. I understand that. But there's times where Holy Spirit is, and we talk about this all the time, and I believe there's a reason. I really do. That Holy Spirit is, is wooing us to step outside of a, a, a belief system, step outside of an ideal or an idea, step out of that box that maybe we've been in. And it's really hard because not only are we second-guessing it, we have people telling us, ah, you shouldn't believe that. Ooh, be really careful. How many have heard this before? And, and I can understand that. But let me say this. The early church, they did a lot of stepping out on things that they weren't sure of. Holy Spirit called them to, I mean, Jesus even told his disciples that I give you uh, the power to bind and to loose. This wasn't some like, they weren't having demon binding and loosing you know, sessions. This was literally in Jewish terms saying, here's the Torah, here's scripture. I give you the authority to bind and loose, to interpret, to see things according to maybe a new way and a new pattern. And, and I love this. I've said this before, but in Acts, I love when it came to accepting Greeks who were uncircumcised into the fold, into the family, that after deliberation and debate and thinking this all through, they said, well, it seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit that we should just maybe say it's okay. You don't have to be circumcised. It seemed good. I mean, what I love about that is this is real people in real time and space trying to figure stuff out. And sometimes we get so afraid because after thousands of years, now we have like 40-some thousand Jesuses running around because that's about how many denominations there are if you have split them all up. No wonder people are so confused. But if someone doesn't believe exactly the way you do or they believe something differently, all of a sudden they're a heretic. Which, by the way, wasn't a word that was thrown around lightly in the early church. It took a heck of a lot to be called a heretic. Like, literally, you had to basically say, Jesus wasn't the Son of God. But when it came to subjects, I mean, studied out, there's so many different ways that they thought and believed. They could debate. They could argue. I mean, they were, they were good Jews. It started out Jews. And Jews knew how to debate, but walk away still friends, brothers and sisters. But we're all on a journey, right? And so when it comes to this idea sometimes of something new, not only do we second-guess ourselves, but we have people trying to tell us what we should believe and what we should do. And one key reason for me in sticking with these decisions was having friends who came alongside me and said, I believe in you. You're on point. This is a good direction, man. Just stick with it. Don't let the naysayers try to change you. You know in your heart, this is where Holy Spirit's taking you on the journey. But see, something else that's done is it's helped me realize that everyone's at a different place on the journey. So let them be on the journey. I don't have to be dogmatic in everything that I believe that I believe. Because guess what? In two years, I might believe something different. Come on. And so, yes, it is... I often say it can be an uncomfortable walk to walk by faith because how many know sometimes it's easy just to be comfortable? I've always believed this. I don't want to change. Why? It's comfortable. There's no faith needed. I've been told this my whole life. 
I'll just choose to believe that. But then someone challenges that thinking, you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You have a decision to make. You can either step outside of that or stay where it's comfortable. Amen? Amen. But in those moments, isn't it great to have support? So if you're here this morning, if, if you're listening online or even later this week and you feel like you're facing discouragement, maybe you're in a place where you feel like you're losing heart and doing good, maybe just take a moment and look around you and see what type of relationships that you have in your life. Who do you call friend? It's interesting to me that that... that how do I say this right? That sometimes we have to, and I found this in my own life, sometimes I've had to find new friends. And what I'm not saying is it's not an us and them thing where I just say, hey, you're done. I have nothing to do with you. I believe that just like Jesus, everyone's welcome into our circle. But how many know it's important to have people that you can trust with your heart? People you can call friend. I'm talking about a true friend. And so I've found in my life that sometimes I've had to not necessarily sever a friendship, but change where that friendship lies within my circle. Does that make sense? And I've done a teaching on this. Maybe we should do it again about friends and basically the four categories and how that all fits where everyone's welcome, but there's a special place where your heart is that not everyone has access to that. God first has complete access to that. We should completely open up to that because first of all, you can't hide. And secondly, he's never going to harm or hurt you it's always to bring restoration and healing to your life. So for some of us, just opening up to that place is really, really hard. And for some of you, that may take more than just reading scripture and prayer. You may need to find someone who's gifted in therapy to work through some things and allow you to open some things up in your heart. You have to make that decision. Follow Holy Spirit on that. But we have to get to this place where we're open, but not open to every single person. So who do you call friend? Think about that for just a minute. But the next thing we need to do is we need to become more aware of our divine friendship with God. Now, this is a crazy concept, but look at what Jesus says in John 15, 15. I think we covered this last week, but I love this scripture. Look what Jesus says. He says, I have never called you servants. Now, stop for just a second because he's talking to, to Jews who were called the servants of the Lord. And Jesus is trying to, to have this mind change, this paradigm shift where he says, I have never called you servants. I wonder how many were like, oh my God, he didn't. You're right. Peter, did you realize that? No, I didn't. I was acting as a servant the whole time. Look at this. I never called you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. And servants don't always understand what the master is doing, but say, but. And this is a big but. I cannot lie. Look at this. I call you my most intimate and cherished friends. I love this translation. This is so cool in the Passion Translation, actually. I call you my most intimate and cherished friends, for I reveal to you everything that I've heard from my Father. Everything? Think about that. Jesus doesn't withhold anything from you. In fact, if we flip this around as far as friendship with God, God has all of us in the inner circle. What? You're like, but you don't know what I did last night. You're still in the inner circle. What you did doesn't define you. Now, what you're doing, 
operating outside of your God-given identity may cause you to not see or hear the truth, but you're still in the inner circle. This is, this is awesome. And so when we approach Heavenly Father on the basis of you know, who he has made us to be, drawing near to God, speaking to God, listening to God in faith about what he thinks of you, this is the way to be invigorated in life with purpose. That's why friendship with God is so important. And I think for some of us, this is a really hard thing to wrap our head around because we're like, well, no, no, no. I can understand the idea of being a servant of God. We've heard this, right? I'm a servant of God. Nothing wrong with serving, right? But it's the motivation for serving. It's also the way to recognize just how much God seeks you out. See, this is a crazy concept to people, that God seeks you out. Now, maybe you've heard, well, yeah, he chases you down all right. Cunt, he's going to get you. <laughs> he's got some retribution to bring your way. No, 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 no. That's not Heavenly Father. I've never once saw that in the life of Jesus. And Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. What I say, I hear the Father say. Either we see God through the lens of Jesus, or you can choose to see him through Joshua or Moses. Whole different deal, isn't it? In fact, you could even see him through the prophets. I love the story where there was a Samaritan town that didn't receive Jesus and his disciples. And as they walked out, the disciples, James and John, were they called the sons of thunder? Yeah, I wonder why. They said, should we call fire down upon them? Just like our prophet Elijah. And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you speak of. He said, I didn't come to destroy. I came to save. Whoa. Not only did he reprimand his disciples... He was calling out like the prophet of all prophets, misuse of proper uh, power and authority. Now, that's a pretty strong statement. So we see that Jesus came to set the record straight, but do we see how much God seeks us out? You know, years ago, uh, there was this movement that started, and it's, I think it's still going, called God Chasers. Anyone heard of this? And Although I don't have an issue with the premise, it's the idea of, you know, just really going after God and, and, and being there, you know, as, as close as you can and learning more. Sometimes we can get this idea that we're chasing God down. And, and I love what a, a friend of mine told me once. He's like, you know, anyone who has to chase their dad down, that's not a very good dad. If you're trying to chase dad down, mm, God's chasing after you. But not for hurt, not for condemnation but to bring healing and restoration and wholeness. So allow God to pursue you. See, in a relationship, it's both ways, right? But we love because he first loved us. God always initiates. What do we do? We simply respond. And so when you think about this idea that God pursues us, that he seeks us out, why? Why would God do this? Little old me, this speck of dust on the blue planet, this blue rock, right? Why would God? Well, like any friend, to spend a few moments, to share life with you, to, to drive out fear. Think about this. Sometimes we, we hear messages that try to fear us into loving God, but God is actually in the business of driving out fear to remove anxiety by telling you the truth about who you are and whose you are, to provide joy and, and goodness and love and peace in your life. And you know what? God is really good at being your friend because he actually made you his friend. 
Jesus says, but I call you. I call you. The disciples didn't do anything to earn this. He called them friends. Guess what? He calls us friends, but I don't know if I measure up. I don't know if I fit all the, no, no, no. He called you friend. It's his doing, not yours. So at what point do we begin to go, oh, I already am. So since I already am, I should just be the friend of God. I should be who God has made me to be. James actually tells us that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was called God's friend. Do you know that this was before the law? This shows me that God has always been looking for friendship, always looking for relationship with humanity. But somehow in our minds, just like the, the ancient story of Adam and Eve, we, we get out of alignment. We forget who and whose we are. and We begin to operate out of this God's my enemy mentality. God's holding out on me mentality. And then we try to do life on our own instead of going, wait, God, you're my friend. You're my source of life. You're everything to me. Isn't that awesome? So if this is true, that we're friends of God, what is a friend? And I love this definition here that Jesus uses in the Greek. The word friend here is philos, and it means dear to God. Listen to this. Peculiarly, more than usually favored with his intimacy. Think about this. You have been favored with his intimacy. God's already done this. He's already provided this. He's already extended his hand and said, you are my friend. You're dearly loved. You're my dearly loved child. You have more than usually favor of my intimacy in your life. It's already there. But see, here's the thing. Sometimes we throw the word friend around real flippantly, don't we? Kind of like the word love. You know, I often joke, I'd be like, man, I love my wife. Ooh, I love pizza. It's like, which is it? But how many know that I love my wife differently than I love pizza? Or God, we hope. I don't plan on marrying a piece of pizza anytime soon, just so you know. But see, the word friend sometimes can be used in that same way. And I get it. You know, there's other words we could use, like acquaintance. Like if, you know, maybe there's someone you know, uh, you know, at the local restaurant or a bar, or there's a barista or someone that you have contact with. I mean, you call them your friend, but really they're an acquaintance, right? They would be on the outer ring of the circle. Not that they're not invited, but you're not going to tell them, oh, maybe you do. But you shouldn't be telling them all your stuff and all your dreams and all your hopes and all your troubles. And I know that bartenders have a way of they minister the spirit to you and you begin talking. That's an old joke my dad used to use. But, but no, I understand that. But we have to know what is a true friend. Not just an acquaintance, but a true friend. So a little audience participation. When you think about a true friend, what does that look like? Give me some ideas, anyone. Free for all. Loyalty. Loyalty. Someone who's loyal to you. I like that. Someone you can trust. Not just trust them, but you know you can trust them with your heart. That's good, yeah. Sure. Yeah, that's a true friend. Someone you can talk to and you know they're not going to go right on social media and say, guess what I heard today? Right? Keeps their, word. Keeps their word. That's good. Faithful. They're there no matter what. Come on. 
You guys are like, I made a list and you're reading my list. Can you guys see it? I, I listed a few things myself. This is the first one I put. True friends like each other. That's pretty simple, right? But I, I actually kind of laughed as I put that down because I'm thinking, hmm. Because, you know, how many of us are like, well, I got to love you, but I don't got to like you right now. That good old Christian thing we say. How about this? True friends share secrets. They're open with one another. True friends laugh together. You know, one of my closest friends is Peter Heist, and we were telling the story about, I don't know if it was here or where it was. It's all a blur. I'm almost 50, but you know. But we were telling, talking about how we would we'd go on tour together uh, in a band that we were in together, and we would stay up all night not get any sleep, just laughing and laughing and carrying on. There was such a sense of just openness and just being, just you could let your hair down. Pete's like, what hair? I get it. But he could let your hair down and just be yourself, right? True friends, listen to this, make plans together. True friends, and you touched on this, uh, Paul, rely upon each other through thick and thin, no matter what happens. Why? Because they're actually involved in each other's lives. Now, I'm saying all these things, and you know, some of you might be like, man, I wish I had a friend like that, right? And I get that. And maybe you do have a friend like that, and you understand that. But do we see God like this? Sometimes we can have a tendency to over-spiritualize things to a place where we can't see that friendship connection. It's important to see. Bottom line, true friends are there for each other. They're there for each other. Now, sometimes we've, I believe, you know, in religion, uh, in churchianity, whatever you want to call it, we've mixed up the idea of serving the Lord with being a servant or a slave of God. Like, I just got to do this. I just got to push through because why? Well, because, man, I, God expects us. I have to do that. But listen, serving doesn't have to be slavery. The best example I can think of is my children. How many here have kids? How many know what a kid is? <laughs> You're like, yeah, that's why I don't have them. But, you know, I think about that in even my life, especially as my kids were young. I mean, I'm the ruler of my home, right? I'm like the bigwig. My wife and I run the thing. My little grandson, Barrett, he has this thing now. He's in this stage. He's like, are you the boss of me? I'm like, yep, I sure am. He goes, I don't know. Yep, I'm the boss of you. Like, are you the boss of me? What he's saying is he's trying to figure out kind of, you know, where that, where that uh, power structure lies. And I'm like, yeah, Papa and Mimi, we run this house, buddy, but we love you. What do you need? Why? Because our heart is to serve. When my kids were young, I mean, especially when they're really young, if they were like, you know, Daddy, can I have a sandwich? I was like, yeah, go make one. No, I went and made the sandwich for them. And then I went further. What kind do you want? Ooh, you want a little extra peanut butter on there? Oh, extra jelly. Okay, some more sugar. Let's give them some more. You know, like there was this excitement to serve our children. Have you ever thought about that? That you serve your children, even though you have the authority, you have the power, you might even have in, in their hearts this, this sense of awe and wonder of how magnificent you are, kind of like we do with God. But in those moments, you still serve your children. See, that's what true service is. Religion has sold us on the idea that if I slave away for God, 
I can somehow garner more love. Well, God really loves me. Why? I go to church every week and I put something in the offering every single Sunday. Well, good for you. Guess what? He loves me just as much and I've only gone once this month. Not me. I go every single Sunday. So he does love me a little more, but no. But that doesn't give you more or less love, right? Well, God will really bless me. Why? Because I'm working so hard. I'm slaving away, man. Those blessings are there. Oh, I thought all things for life and godliness were already given to you through Christ Jesus. And some people who think they're so blessed can't even access the blessing because they do it with the wrong heart. Just like people who don't know what's even there. We have to awaken to it, right? How about this? Man, I'm slaving away. Why? Because I can get more of God's presence. We think God somehow will be like, well, I'm going to hold back a little presence from you. Listen, the very presence of God is within you. It's already there. He's given you everything. Just like when I stood at the altar with my wife and she said, I do. She gave me her whole self, but it's taken, well, I'm 21 years in and I still don't understand everything there is about Kristen, right? So it takes time. It's a relationship, but you know, God doesn't give us more presence because we somehow jump a couple extra hurdles or go through some extra hoops. By faith, we become more aware of the presence of God. And so, you know, religion has sold us on this idea. Now, I understand that serving God is a high calling. It's a wonderful calling. But listen, friendship with God is the fuel. That's the fuel we need to serve God. Yet if we can be sold on the idea that, you know, service and, and doing things for God is the highest compliment to God and not love shared and, uh, you know, friendship enjoyed, then it can soon make us weary. We can soon get into discouragement and it prevents us from, I believe, discovering the full stature of our identity in Christ who we truly are. This is why friendship with God is so important. Seeing that friendship, seeing that you are dear to God, that you are more than usually favored with God's intimacy. See, intimacy isn't just, hey, we hung out, I saw an acquaintance the other day. No, intimacy is a far different relationship. It's a closeness, right? It's a connection. Jesus said that we are united with God. Right? We're in union. That word union in the Greek literally means cemented together. No one can snatch you out of Father's hand. This is the relationship you have. Now, how much we enjoy of that relationship, how much we benefit of that relationship, that's where it comes down to us by faith changing our mind and seeing things a different way. Is this making sense? And so in all our efforts at service and discipleship, the best ingredient is friendship with our Father. Because let me tell you this, without it, service and discipline and uh, discipleship, they become qualities necessary for employment with God. So you can become an employee, you know, to measure uh, ourselves by our production. Uh, we feel as if maybe we're under the scrutiny of the big boss or the big guy upstairs. How many have heard that term before? And so then all of a sudden, what you do, it's like, well, did I punch the time clock? Ooh, I worked some overtime. Was I on time? Did I make it when I should? Was I pleasing? Did I have a pleasing attitude? Was I whistling while I worked? And so we start to put all these ideas and this heaviness on ourselves, rather than allowing the friendship and relationship we have with God to be to turn into an outflow of service to God. Why? 
at the heart of it because we love God. Because God first loved us. Let me ask you, have you ever got tired of just serving, serving, serving? I'll raise both hands. I mean, there's times in life where we get to that place. Pretty simple question with a simple answer. What, what ended that fatigue? It's when we stopped and got off the job mentality. The idea that this is work we must do. I've experienced this in my own life when it comes to church. Right? I don't, I don't do anything that I do for church or, or others because I feel like God's looking down going, you better or else. It's the love of God. It's the relationship that I have. In fact, if you think of it this way, a lot of people, they get so burned out, they walk away from everything. And that's what happens when we don't have true friendship with God, openness with God, which God has already provided. It's already there. But it's up to us to become more and more aware of that friendship. So if we start dealing with this issue and we're feeling this, this tells us that there's something missing in our service. It's friendship with God, right? So we've turned service to God into a job instead of a joy. See, service to God should be a joy, not a job. And I'm not saying service to God is a bad thing. It, it never should be. You know, I know some people have gotten so deep into, you know, we don't got to do anything. God's grace is so big. Well, his grace empowers you to do what you're called to do. You know, I heard one guy say, it doesn't mean there's, we're a bunch of grace hippies that just lay around and do nothing. Some people need to stop for a while and soak that up and then get a new reason, a new inspiration for doing what they do. But eventually there's stuff to do in the kingdom, right? Not as worker bees, but as friends, as sons, as daughters. And again, I'm not downplaying, downplaying service to God. In fact, I think through this message, I'm upplaying service to God. I'm not saying stop, do, stop doing stuff, but I'm asking us to maybe question what is your fuel? What is the motivation for what you're doing? In fact, if you really boil it down to this, how do we serve God? Jesus told us by serving others. Right? Jesus said, if you've given drink to the thirsty, if you've clothed the naked, if you fed the hungry, you've done this unto me, right? We serve God by serving others. And I believe that Paul resonates with the same idea when he says, let us do good to all people. I love this quote by Ralph Harris. He says, if service to God has become a grinding drudgery, the antidote is not more service or less. It's a renewal of friendship with God. Sometimes we just need to renew friendship with God. If you're feeling stressed and discouraged, if you're losing heart and doing good, we need to reassess, where is my relationship with God? Have I put that on the back burner to do stuff for God? Or are we doing this together? Is the friendship I have and the relationship I have with God the thing that fuels what I do? Because when we fail and break down, it's, listen guys, it's not a failure of service or of proper discipleship. It's a failure of love and grace because we experience this in relationship with God. I want us to look just at a couple final scriptures. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 1 because we've got to see that God's love and grace, they're at all times lavished upon us because of our sonship, because of our daughtership and friendship through Christ. But look at this in the passage translation. This is so beautiful. Verse 1, 1 John chapter 3. 
It says, look with wonder. Say that with me. Look with wonder. This is so awesome. Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us. Isn't that a cool word, lavished? Say it with me. Lavished. Say it with meaning, lavished. Isn't that cool? Look at this. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. Now, you want to hear something really cool? Of course you do. This word lavished in the Greek, it means generous, extravagant, luxurious. I love those words. How many, when you hear generous, you're just like, wow, like it's, it's just all there. When you hear extravagant, you're like, man, just no holds barred. I mean, this is everything luxurious. Come on, we all like a little luxury from here and from time to time, right? But think about this. Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has generously, extravagantly, luxuriously lavished on you. Do we really see this? And to go on to say, because you're his beloved children. And then Paul tells us in Ephesians, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. Come on, I love this wording. Both John and Paul got it. They're like, God doesn't hold back. He's given us all that he is. It's this sense of generous, extravagant, luxurious giving. This is how God sees us. So listen, we don't have to be afraid of God. Maybe you're someone here today who's like, well, I, but I heard a message about the fear of the Lord, man. You gotta fear him. But if you really look at the context of what's being said in the original language, the fear of the Lord means you're in right relationship with God. In fact, that word fear, it means to be, he uses the word right here, in fact. He says, wonder. It's a wonder. It's an awe. It's that same feeling that, that maybe a child gets when they see their dad or, or their grandpa or grandma or their mom. And they're like, wow, you're so awesome. You're, you're amazing. This is the fear of the Lord. Right? How do I know that? Because Jesus has called us to intimate relationship. And what I've found is that if you're terrified of someone, there's no place for intimacy. That's why the Apostle John says that there's no fear in love. Can you truly love someone who you're deathly afraid of? No, it's not. The human, the human emotion can't do that. I mean, we, we've seen, you know, unfortunately, we've seen relationships where, uh, for instance, a woman's in a really bad relationship. It's really abusive, maybe physically, verbally, or both, and they just can't seem to get out. But the thing is, they have to fake their love for the other person. Why? There's no, there's no room for love or intimacy where fear is present. So there's no way that the fear of the Lord is being, is cowering and being terrified of the Lord. Then how can we have intimacy with the Lord? So we don't have to be afraid of God. We don't have to avoid God. In fact, we talked about today, God is pursuing us. Why, God, why are you pursuing us? In order to show us that he is our source, the one who has lavished on us his love, grace, forgiveness, goodness, lavished, extravagant, luxurious. It's awesome. 
And I think about the outcome of that when I begin to understand, have a, a, a greater revelation of what God has lavished on me. What do I do? I begin to lavish others with love, grace, goodness, and forgiveness. Amen. Will you stand with me? I just want to encourage you, like, like the Apostle Paul, do not be discouraged. Do not lose heart in well-doing. Instead, open up to friendship with God. Realize that it's a relationship that's been offered. It's already there. There's nothing that you can do except awaken to it and say, wow, it's true. And I found this in my life is there's times where even though I hear and there's this beginning of understanding the love of God and the relationship there, sometimes it, it, it's a journey. It takes time to really truly believe that by faith because, you know, we would say, I know who I am. I know how I respond to my wife or my children. I, I, I know what I do at work behind closed doors. I know how I am with this person or that. I know how much hate I have for that person or that political party or all these little things we have. But in the midst of all that, God is saying, I still call you friend. You are in the inner circle. If you want to see those attitudes and those actions change, it's becoming aware of the relationship you already have. See, this brought freedom in my life, realizing that it's not what I do that opens God up. He's already open. It's what I believe that opens me up to the relationship that's already there. That's really the gospel. That's what I love about even the apostles. They would preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, of God's grace and his love. And it simply said, and they believed. It's like a light went off and they believed. And it said, and they added to the church. That's, that's like, what? See, I'm not against, you know, altar calls. I'm not against praying a prayer. I'm not against any of those things, but some people can do that, but not really have a heart change. What I'm seeing is there's something about the message that when it, when it goes off, when it sparks something in the inside, you begin to change your mind. That's repentance, right? The whole message of Jesus was repent not repent, right? It was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. See, we turn it into some like scary thing. No, repent, change your mind. You're seeing things wrong. Why? Because you're thinking wrong. Change your mind about how God is, how he sees you. You'll begin to change how you see yourself. You'll begin to change how you see others. Everything will change. The gospel is beautiful. It's a beautiful picture of who God has always intended you to be. You just haven't seen it yet. There's freedom in that. There's no hoops to jump through. There's no hurdles to jump over. It's just, I am what God has made me to be. And I'm going to choose to see myself as God sees me. And again, it's not easy. It takes faith. Because we know ourselves better than many. We know our responses and our thoughts and our actions but stop defining yourself by that. Start in a place where you already have friendship with the divine. You're connected, but you have to see it. And that's where faith comes in. You receive that? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We always start out with thankfulness. Because you're so good. 
I pray this morning that through these words that were spoken, through the scripture we've read, that Holy Spirit, you've been working on hearts for us to see the truth of who we are, to see the truth of the connection that we have with you, to begin to see things in a clearer fashion, bringing clarity to this idea of friendship with you because it's friendship with you. It's that loving relationship with you that is the fuel we need for life. To do what you've called us to do, to live life with purpose, a purpose that you put within each and every one of us. We're all a part of the body of Christ. We're different parts, uh, different facets, different pieces, different gifts, different callings, different purpose, but the same goal is to first of all awaken to how much you love us. And as we do that, then we begin to minister healing to those around us who have not yet awakened to this relationship, this love, this goodness, this grace that you've already provided. So Holy Spirit, we're open this morning. Is there an area of our life that We have a blind spot. We don't see, we don't have an understanding maybe in an area. And so that's caused some inner turmoil. It's caused us to see ourselves in an improper way. Well, Jesus, we give you permission to come into those spaces of our heart. Bring healing. Bring your healing virtue into those areas of our heart because we want to see ourselves more clearly. We want to understand more clearly the purpose that we have in this life. And it's not a something we do, 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 It's something that you put in us and that relationship is the fuel to then serve you and serve the kingdom of God. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, We pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.